Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Andy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. With the temperatures dropping, we have entered prime sock season, and our friends over at Dead Soxie just announced their BOGO Winter Sale. Right now, when you buy two sock bundles, you get the second bundle 50% off or get a free pair of socks with any single pair you purchase. And I'm telling you, these socks are awesome. I've been wearing them for months now since Dead Soxie hooked us up. To get this deal, just put any two bundles or any two pairs of socks in your cart and apply the code LUCKY, L-U-C-K-Y. If you have bundles in there, it will take 50% off the least expensive bundle. If you have two pairs of socks in your cart, it will make the least expensive pair free. So head over to deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, and stock up on this incredible winter sale. And as always, stay soxy. Boy, what a week. Uh, A lot has happened since we last recorded a podcast, so we have quite a bit to catch you up on that we've been covering on InsideNDSports.com and the Insider Lounge. By now, you probably know that Notre Dame hosted Utah Offensive Coordinator Andy Ludwig for an interview on campus last Friday and Saturday. Then the first sign that it wouldn't work out for Notre Dame was a report Monday night from ESPN's Pete Thamel citing Ludwig's buyout as an obstacle in discussions with Notre Dame. Since then, we've learned that Notre Dame expects to promote tight ends coach Jared Parker to offensive coordinator and hire Wisconsin's Geno Gadouli as quarterback's coach. Oh, and uh, offensive line coach Harry Heastan retired in the middle of all that. The latest development Thursday, which we are recording this podcast late Thursday night, came from an email we obtained that Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick sent to those who reached out to him with complaints regarding Notre Dame's perceived refusal to pay Ludwig's buyout. Swarbrick vehemently denied that Notre Dame was unwilling to pay the buyout and suggested that the obstacle was due to conflicting information regarding the amount and mechanics of the buyout, but that that would quickly would be resolved. Um, you can read the rest of the email on InsideNDSports.com. Eric, is there anything there that I left out you think is worth addressing before we sort of just jump into questions? Because I feel like that's the best way to sort of tackle the, the all the news that we've we've missed in the last week. What'd you just say? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I think what what I would add before we got into questions is I, I've rarely seen a reaction to, to a coaching search like this. Uh, I, I think there's been disappointment before. There's and 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 I don't. It's I don't think Jared Parker is the. Um, target of it it's the process mm-hmm. and and so there's i mean you know i posted the um the letter from jack swarbrick on our website and then tweeted it out and the responses i've received in my notifications i could not let my grandchildren look at my uh, <laughs> twitter account and there's some creative ones i don't know that that the response necessarily helped his cause but um i've got a column coming friday morning that i think will provide some good perspective tyler's been really active on the um insider lounge message boards kind of sketching out what we know what we think what we don't know and i think it's really helpful and it has helped kind of lead the discussion as to 
um, you know, what we're really talking about here. So anyways, hopefully we'll give you a little bit more insight. We're uh, both in our uh, hoodies tonight and uh, that's a first for us doing a podcast. We do not have a, we usually have a guest. We figured they didn't want to stay up this late with us. So, uh, and we have so much to talk about in terms of questions. So I guess we can get right to those. Yeah. I'll just add that. I think speaking for myself, and I think you kind of agree. We're not exactly sure like what precisely we believe. Like there's parts of each side of the stories that we've heard that we believe, but we're trying, we're still trying to piece it together. And I'm not sure that we're ever going to feel 100% confident in how all of this played out just because of the way it has unfolded. But we're, we've been trying to do our best to try to get as much information as we can and uh, let our readers and listeners right. decide. And then also like, we think that some of you probably want to know what we think as well. So we'll, yeah. we'll share that as, as things move. Forward. I will say this, a, a big reason why we presented the email. I mean, I think a lot of you are curious about it. And also I feel like in any news story, whether you believe one side or both, or you're not sure, it's very important to present both sides and let people make up their minds. Absolutely. All right, let's get to questions. Uh, as you should know, you can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at T James ND and Eric's at E Hansen ND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W Wolf. Is Dead Soxy willing to finance the Utah buyout? Only if it's buy an offensive coordinator's buyout, get the offensive line coaches for half off. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I if if Dead Soxy's front in the buyout, I wanted to know what what sort of cut do we get as like a finder's fee? Like I think uh, if that were to happen, I think we should get a little bit of credit for that. But <laughs> I thought that was a really funny way, and uh, maybe a lighthearted way to get into uh, some uh, serious questions and opinions here for the rest of the podcast. So our next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ six thousand and eight. How the absolute hell could they trot? Ludwig on campus and show him off with Marcus at a hockey game without either not knowing what the buyout was or knowing the figure and refusing to pay it. Does the admin realize that they come off looking like total idiots? Um, some people would say, yes, they do. The people that believe that um, Notre Dame has kind of changed its tune once there was pushback from you know, a version we are told, and this is supplementing what Jack Swarbrick said in the email, is that um, that that they were given an that Notre Dame was given an older version of the contract, which didn't have the rollover, which then didn't have the accurate buyout figure, but but Notre Dame is saying on the record in Jack's email that it was never an obstacle that that they were willing to pay the buyout of anybody that was involved to their institution and that the kind of the backstory is they needed to kind of work through the numbers so that's what they are maintaining so it just depends which reality which reality ecosystem you're living in uh, whether you think this is really stupid for them to have him at the hockey game or it was an honest part of the process which they thought would eventually land them Andy Ludwig. Ludwig. Yeah, and I, I 
my like interpretation of the obstacle part and and Jack Swerve even used like obstacle and quotation marks in the in the uh email. He said to the extent that the buyout was an obstacle in quotation marks in the case of one candidate that was true of a brief period of time only because of conflicting information. So like I, I guess <laughs> in his parsing of of obstacle he means obstacle, or he's at least interpreting obstacle as like a, a small hurdle rather than like a wall. <laughs> like or a deal breaker. <laughs> or yeah, or a deal breaker. A lot but... of people felt like that was the deal breaker. Right. Um, and I think it's understandable to sort of I mean, what, like what about a, a buyout is an obstacle besides like a willingness to pay it? Like that was my that was my perception. I I made a joke about uh if Notre Dame's not willing is is trying to cut corners on pay, that's not exactly a a great look for for Notre Dame, but um, obviously that Notre Dame is not uh, does not believe that's the case for itself and believes it was willing to do that. Um, and obviously, obviously, like the fact that Jack Swarbrick sent this email to people who reached out to him um, knows the perception that is out there and how poorly it is reflected on Notre Dame and feeling the need to sort of correct um, the version of events from their perspective. So, um. I, I, I would, I would love to. Uh, the person I want to hear from now is Andy Ludwig's agent because that seems to be the person who's been thrown under the bus. <laughs> um, and so I, I would be very interested to get that perspective. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty uh, heated couple of days there on social media, on message boards regarding and apparently in Jack Swarbrick's inbox uh <laughs> regarding to this uh buyout situation. Uh next question is from at Ice Mike USA. When will you be interviewing Marcus Freeman, Jack Swarbrick, or President Jenkins about what occurred with Andy Ludwig? So get a shot at Marcus Freeman fairly soon uh because I think they're gonna announce Jared Parker fairly soon. It won't be the day they announce him. It'll be probably a few days after that. But I would say, you know, within a reasonable time period, we'll be talking to Marcus and we'll be able to ask him about a lot of these things. Um, and then it's kind of up to leave him. I found Marcus to be almost shockingly authentic and open about how he feels about different things. So for him to um, give us a word salad would be out of character for him. So it's going to be a very interesting interview. So we have the or, or, or there. Um, do have a request to talk to Jack Swarbrick. I've had that in since January. I think probably after we get through the basketball um, search is when I'll get a shot. We'd like to have him actually on the podcast. He's been on before and definitely has better musical taste than Tyler does. <laughs> How dare you? Um, but uh, um, we would talk to him, not just about the searches, but about a lot of big picture things that you guys would like to know about, like NIL um, stuff, what Notre Dame's plan is and facilities and all kinds of things. Father Jenkins usually doesn't um, avail himself to the sports media, although there are times I've I've talked to him before, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know that that would be like the t- at the top of my list of people that I'd want to talk to about this unless I had like <laughs> unless I had like more of like a smoking gun of like okay, none of this adds up. We need to get someone else higher up to to see whether or not they believe this and listen to the listen to what what we're hearing and how it may contradict whatever is being presented. But I I don't know that that's um something that well I'm going to give you a little bit of interested a in pe- peek at part of what I'm writing tomorrow is whether Notre Dame backtracked on this or not, they're on record now. If they were being squirrely about this, they're going to be squirrely again. Um, If they, um, but they're on record now holding themselves to the standard. So let's see how that plays out. And, and they have a opportunity coming up very soon with it's uh, with the school's offensive line, uh, vacancy. And there's certainly going to be other opportunities, opportunities to add recruiting infrastructure, opportunities to add quality analysts. So we'll see whether Notre Dame bulks at at uh, the price tag of those things or is consistent with what Jack Swarbrick said Notre Dame's approach is when it comes to these things. Yeah. And that kind of gets to the next question we have from Wayne Oosteroff at W. Oosteroff is is there any way that Notre Dame can turn this ND is cheap? And this is a quotation from, from Usteroff. ND is cheap and doesn't want to compete with the elite stigma around. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunities. Now, that doesn't mean you want to be fiscally irresponsible. I mean, I don't think they need a slide in the goog or, you know, a mocha latte machine or whatever. But uh, they they do need certain pragmatic things in terms of facilities. and. I think, again, how they go about retaining assistance, replacing assistance, the things that I just talked about with the um, recruiting infrastructure and the uh, analyst, I think, is important. Um, and how they, I mean, there's a huge decision coming up uh, with regard to media rights deal, their media rights deal, and how that plays into whether they need to join a conference or not. You know, we haven't talked about that since June because, you know, Jack Sorber kind of came out and felt like he was confident that what Notre Dame came up in its next media rights deal would be competitive with what the Big Ten and the SEC are doing. But if it's not, there's a huge decision to make for Notre Dame there. So there's going to be lots of opportunities to prove, you know, how much Notre Dame wants us from a financial standpoint. Right. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it, it's going to come down to actions. It's a, right. there's there's nothing that anyone can say to sort of dissuade this perspective, whether or not it's true or not. It's going to come down to, all right, put put your money where your mouth is. Then, if that's if that's how you feel, and you feel like you were you are willing to commit to that, um, and uh, I would imagine Marcus Freeman is going to be pushing those buttons. Like, all right, let's let's. If you got our backs and then let's let's see it um so i think uh i mean i know we'll get into this later when it talk about with regards to the offensive line coach but it's like okay are they really like are they going to break the bank for that job or, or or and if they don't is it because they're not willing to or is it because they, they think this decision that may be cheaper is actually the best decision for the program i i think uh right i mean not every time are you going to think you know oh let's go out and get the most expensive guy in the country. Right. Um, 
you know, there may be somebody you like that's a younger coach that wouldn't command that kind of salaries. It's um, going to look the same. Right. Next question is from Brett Hamilton at Brett Ham 91. How do Irish fans, including myself, not fixate that we really missed an opportunity here? What does this mean for our program and coaches coming slash going? Forgive me if I'm being over dramatic, but it seems like this could end up damaging our brand and luring coaches slash players. I don't think your stance is unreasonable. I do think it's fair to give um, the Jared Parker, Gino Gadouli combination a chance. Uh, but I think it's also reasonable to expect Notre Dame moving forward to show that it means business in this new college football ecosystem. Um, so I think everything that you s- say there is true, but let's let it play out. Let's Let's see what this looks like you know, next week, let's see what it looks like three months from now. Yeah. I mean, the only way that you're ever going to feel like it wasn't a missed opportunity is if the, 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 the choices that ended up being made are successful. Um, So I think, I think it's going to be hard to sort of turn the page. I think, I think it's like you said, it's, it's fair to give these guys a chance. Like it, it, it shouldn't be held against these guys that the way things played out, well, I mean, Jared Parker was sitting there at the hockey game right next to Andy Ludwig trying to help with the pitch to get him here. So uh, I can't like, – it just seems like a very awkward situation for him. Um, and I, I can't – like, I'm sure he's excited for the opportunity, but I, there's got to be some weird aspect to this. It's like, man, what am I really stepping into here? Everyone – there's there's a, a, a segment of the fan base that thinks that I was second or third choice here, that I don't – deserve this opportunity. Um, but obviously what matters most is that Marcus Freeman believes that he deserves this opportunity and um, he's been given it and he'll have the chance to make the most of it. So um, I think that's, that's the, I, that's the sort of one of the, one of the many strange aspects of this is just sort of like, okay, oh, like this really, regardless of how exactly things fell apart with Andy Ludwig, it was clear that Notre Dame wanted him. Um, and I think it's pretty, I guess, for, I guess, from my perspective, pretty obvious to understand why they wanted him. Um, but they weren't able to make that happen. And I mean, given Andy Ludwig's recent success, there's no reason to believe that he's not con- going to continue to be successful at Utah. So there, there'll always be a, a what if factor there, but, um, that can be overdone, overwritten by Notre Dame making the most of how its staff ends up playing out. Uh, next question is from uh, at Brendan Corey. Do you think Jack Swarbrick has checked his Twitter notifications yet? Well, he doesn't have to. The disillusionment is palpable. Um, and if he needs to get a sampling of that, he can look at my Twitter notifications. Um, you know, he did read his emails. That's why he um, put out the uh, email to the people that um, had some questions about that. So. Um, I don't know that he needs further. I will say this about Twitter people in general. They are more creative and clever than your average bear. <laughs> whether they're snarky or to me or somebody else, I mean, they're at least creative with their snark. I, I didn't have to check his mentions because he was getting like mentioned in my mentions a lot. So yeah. I was aware of what was being said 
uh, to Jack Swarbrick. And I think some of it, some of the people were, were trying to send Zach, Jack Swarbrick, what I was saying on Twitter. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what that looks like. I mean, there were, even, there was even something where father Jenkins posted something after the, um, the shootings at Michigan state and sending his prayers to Michigan state. And then people just, wanted to bring this into that situation. It's like, guys, time Ooh. and place. Like, yeah, it was, it was, it was bad. It's like, I understand you're upset, but like, you don't have to reply to this specific tweet right. ab- about something that is, is yeah, completely different. And like the magnitude of is not related in any way. So um, you'd like to think people have better sense than that, but I think <laughs> there may be uh smart, uh, funny people on Twitter, but there are also people that, um, get way too invested in things and, and maybe show it in the wrong way. Uh, next question is from John Dillon at Dills127. There are a lot of reporters slash commenter, commentators who believe Swarbrick has way too much involvement slash hands on the football team, including who gets hired. Your thoughts? If not him, who? I mean, this is the biggest job of the athletic director right. besides presenting a budget that's not going to get him in trouble the curating the football team and especially with a young coach why wouldn't you be involved in that um and looking at contracts and buyouts and um i i I don't know who these you know when and and john this isn't me picking on you when but when you ask a question there are a lot of reporters and and i'm not expecting to name names but i mean are these real reporters or these guys you know, living in their mom's basement, typing away in their underpants. You know, that's what I don't, I don't know the differentiation of sometimes that people know the difference um, of people that are in the know and people that are just kind of have an opinion because they have a nose too. So um, anyways, that's my two sons. Yeah. I mean, we, we know a lot, if not all of the reporters that cover Notre Dame because we're around it just as much as anyone. Um, and so I, if ever, if a, a lot seems like a high number and may, maybe they're sharing that and I haven't seen those opinions elsewhere, elsewhere, but, um, right. but I don't, that, that's, I don't know that that's I, putting that to the side. He wants to know what we think. And I, I I'm on, I agree with you. Like if you're going to put a first time head coach into the position, you, the athletic director has to be involved or unless, unless there's someone else where they're, um, you have someone else in the, the department that's like overseeing football, which is sort of what Ron Paulus's role is. Um, now, I don't, I don't think like Jack Swarbrick should be driving the decisions made, but I think he needs to be giving feedback and help helping navigate the decisions um, and, and weighing in on things to Marcus Freeman. But I think for Marcus Freeman to feel ownership of the decisions that are made, more or less, you need to sort of give him what he wants or like, like find ways to get him comfortable with what you both want or something like that. I think there's ways that they can navigate that together. And I think it's sort of required with the first time head coach, like Marcus Freeman is dealing with all kinds of decisions that he's never made before. Um, And Jack Swarbrick has seen many of those decisions made over and over again during his career. And so he certainly has some opinions and that doesn't mean he's always right, but um, his perspective should matter in, in, in a number of these situations. Next question is from Chuck Delutis at Seahawk 24. Did Marcus Freeman get to choose his guy or was he overruled? 
in business, when the organization vetoes your choice of personnel, your attitude drops and you can sidestep accountability. If this is true, coach cannot be happy or as motivated about Notre Dame. Say it ain't so. Um, I think M Marcus Freeman is comfortable with Jared Parker. Right. And I also think it's accurate to say he wasn't his number one choice. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that answers your question. Again, we're going to hear from Marcus in person and you can judge the authenticity of his enthusiasm or lack of it when he does speak here in the next who knows when, but it's not going to be long. Um, so, um, you know, the Tyler and I were talking about this a little bit before the podcast. Um, the summer that Mike Mickens was hired at Notre Dame, I reached out to Marcus, who was still at Cincinnati at the time, to talk to him about uh, Mike Mickens, who he hired at Cincinnati, they were high school teammates and Marcus little did I know I'd be, you know, seeing him all the time, <laughs> um, said, and, and he makes a very good first impression. Let me tell you. I mean, I felt like at the end of that phone call that we had known each other for a long time, but he said that he didn't want to influence the other people on the staff. And so he kind of let um, them kind of decide where Mickens should be in terms of cornerback coach candidates. And then once they kind of made their choice known that he was the number one, then Marcus chimed in and said, yeah, he was his number one choice also, but he wasn't going to try to influence them because they, they had a history. They were, you know, high school friends and high school teammates. And, um, he wanted, uh, Mike to earn that and stand alone. And I think, Sometimes again, when you've worked with people before and, and, and Jared and Marcus did for four years. And I know that, you know, Marcus really want to have him on the staff as a tight ends coach right. to the point where he, I don't want to say he overruled Tommy Reese, but he certainly took the lead with that hire where, where Tommy took the lead with the other hires on offense. Uh, so I, I don't think, I, I don't think that Marcus is disillusioned with Jared Parker, but again, not the number one choice. Yeah. He clearly wanted Ludwig. And one of the like questions that I posed on our message board, as we sort of try to figure out, okay, what, what do we know? What don't we know here is like, how, how did this, how did the Andy Ludwig pursuit like officially come to an end? Did Notre Dame say, Hey, let's, let's get out of here. Like he clearly doesn't want to come here. If we, if we're, if we're to believe that Notre Dame was willing to pay the buyout and see that through, did it reach a point where Notre Dame's like, well, okay, what are we waiting for? Are you coming? Or are you not coming? Um, and then someone that someone had to say no, or like, no, thanks um, to sort of take that next forward because then Notre Dame did move forward with its search and um, ended up interviewing Jared Parker on Tuesday. So that's, sort of one of the un unanswered questions we have at this point in terms of how it came to that, who made that decision to sort of actually make this no longer like a possibility, like to whether it's ending the pursuit or Andy Ludwig telling Notre Dame to just leave me alone. I'm, I'm good with, with being at Utah. 
Um, that's I think that's one of the like lingering questions that we have uh, at this point. And then, yeah, I, to echo like what you said, like Jared Parker, Jared Parker was on Notre Dame staff at as a tight ends coach because of Marcus Freeman. So like, I I, I don't think it's, I have zero doubt that Marcus Freeman's going to be excited about Jared Parker when he talks to us about this, him as the offensive coordinator. My question is, okay, well, what does he sound like? How does he answer the questions about Andy Ludwig? Um, that's, that's, that's what I'm most curious about um, and, and what we can read into how he explains that and how he, how he describes how things sort of played out. As a reminder, the Inside Andy Sports podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. With the temperatures dropping and the groundhog indicating an extended winter, we have entered prime sock season. Actually, in South Bend, we've had decent weather, but it's still sock season. And our friends at Dead Soxy have just announced their BOGO winter sale. Right now, when you buy two sock bundles, you get the second bundle 50% off or get a free pair of socks with any single pair you purchase. To get the deal, you're going to need to use the promo code LUCKY. That's L-U-C-K-Y. Uh, just put any two bundles or any two pairs of socks in your cart and apply the code LUCKY. If you've got bundles in there, it will take 50% off the least expensive bundle. If you've got two pairs of socks in your cart, it will make the least expensive pair free. Remember, all dead Soxy socks come with the patented technology with a no-slip guarantee made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. Head over to deadsoxy.com, that's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, and stock up on this incredible winter sale. Promo code LUCKY. And as always, stay Soxy. All right, next question is from at Rockney93 on the Insider Lounge. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad do you think the Parker promotion is? He clearly wasn't in the top five-plus candidates and wouldn't have even gotten a look from another major program. I get that Freeman trusts him because they go way back, but I thought a key requirement of any hire for the position was going to be extensive play-calling experience. Okay, Rockney93, um, I'm going to get back to your scale of 1 to 10, but I want to talk through some of the other points because they were interesting and really good. Um, I think play-calling experience is much more critical in this hire because of Marcus Freeman being a defensive guy. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, uh, there is scheme and personnel familiarity uh, and Gino good offensive coordinator experience. And again, before this process started, I did a column where I talked about different boxes that needed to be checked. And these aren't necessarily Marcus's boxes, although um, I think in this particular instance, this is what I thought would lead to success. Recruiting, yeah, you could give him a check mark. He's been recruiting a long time. Ability to evolve the offense. We don't know that. I mean, Marcus would know that better than us, but from the outside looking in, other programs wouldn't see that. Uh, NFL friendly. Again, in, in his knowledge of the scheme that Notre Dame wants to run and his ability to do that, Marcus probably checks that box. I'm not sure that I do. Uh, and then position match, he wasn't a match. Um, he was the tight ends coach, so you needed to bring in a separate quarterbacks coach. 
He doesn't have much offensive coordinator experience. He has been a full-time or he's been coaching in college since 2007. So yes and no. I would have liked to seen more um, offensive coordinator experience. And I know some people point out that uh, a lot of the other uh, Notre Dame offensive coordinators in the Kelly era either didn't have power five experience or any offensive coordinator experience. But I, I don't, I think that other offensive coordinator experience counts. I don't think you necessarily have to have power five uh, experience. I think, you know, calling plays and learning from your mistakes in a, in an area where there's not as much scrutiny, I think is, is really valuable. So, yeah, I, I don't, and I, I mean, maybe I'm on a, the minority of this, I, I don't think the offenses of the Brian Kelly era are like the standard that Notre Dame should be aiming for. Yeah. I think, I think, it, I think Notre Dame wants to be better than that. And so that's why I thought play calling experience was that much more important. And obviously Brian Kelly is an offensive coach. Like you don't, he, he's more comfortable with promoting guys that are or hiring guys as offensive coordinators that maybe don't have as much play calling experience. Cause he's going to have his hands in that. Um, in fact, he didn't even let anybody else call the plays until 2014. Right. So it's, so it's a little bit of a different uh, comparison. But he wanted on a scale of one to 10, how bad do I think it is? Yeah. And let's go. I, I did one is terrible. 10 is fantastic. I don't know if you did the other way around, but <laughs> bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you did my mic there. <laughs> was too slow on the trigger. You're right. Uh, that bought me some time. I would say it's a five. I mean, I think Parker is going to be better than, and Gaduli together are going to be better than people think. But Notre Dame had a really, really big opportunity to upgrade the position. Yeah, I, I, I said optically, it's it's like a three. Yeah. Um, Because it's someone that Marcus Freeman's known a long time, has little play calling experience. So if it goes wrong, everyone is going to say, and have plenty of reason to say, I told you so. Um. But I, I think probably more realistic, it's probably like a five in, in my opinion, too. I think I think many of the criticisms are fair, um, but it doesn't mean that Parker isn't a bright mind and his concepts weren't, won't work for Notre Dame. Obviously, Marcus Freeman believes that what he plans to do aligns with what he wants in an offense. Um, so I think he's – I think Parker's – like in this – We'll talk a little bit about this in a, in a future question. I think Par- Parker's offense is going to align philosophically with what Freeman wants, what we've seen from Tommy Reese, and probably a, a bit of what we saw we we would have saw from Andy Ludwig if he came to um, to Notre Dame. Uh, next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers twenty one seventeen. What are your thoughts on Parker as the offensive coordinator? People want to point out what he did at West Virginia. In reality, he was just the receivers coach who had very little input in the offense. Neil Brown, the head coach at West Virginia, is the one that calls calls the plays and runs the offense. Do you think he will be a co-offensive coordinator with Geno? I don't think he'll be a co-offensive coordinator, but I think Geno will have a lot of input, and I think he'll be a great sounding board uh, for Jared. And I, I think as far as what his offense looks like, again, I think – it's going to look similar to what the Reese offense did. Uh, but again, you've got different personnel kind of rising in that uh, system where I think the wide receivers are better and there's not a dominant tight end right now. 
Uh, so it might look a little bit different. But I want to hear from him what his offensive philosophy, what he did at West Virginia isn't necessarily what he's going to do here. And here's why I say that. Um, you know, when we went to the <laughs> the uh, bowl in New York City, it's the pinstripe, pinstripe bowl. Pinstripe bowl, yeah. Al Lesser and I, our family spent Christmas together close to each other, and we drove to New York City. And the night after the um, the pinstripe, the night of the pinstripe bowl, that night, Van Gorder was named defensive coordinator. And the next day, we're driving back, and I'm trying to get a hold of people that worked with him or covered him and find out, you know, how good of a fit he is for Notre Dame. And basically, the premise was that. You know, well, he was around Rex Ryan, so he's going to run one Rex Ryan's deep. He tried, but he didn't know how to teach it, and he didn't know how to push the buttons. And everybody said wonderful things about him. So let's hear what he has to say first, uh, instead of having people saying glowing things about somebody that really hasn't called very many plays. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of what Nathan Reynolds said regarding his West Virginia experience, I think little input is probably a bit of a stretch. Um, I was told that Neil Brown was the one who was making most of the play calling decisions. Uh, he apparently that was like a running secret that they didn't really like it was apparently they were very dodgy about uh, describing who was calling the plays during that tenure. I think even in this past year, um, Neil Brown has been a bit <laughs> evasive and sort of, providing clarity in terms of who's how the play calling process works. Um, my understanding is that Jared Parker had red zone input, um, but um, no, West Virginia wasn't great at scoring during his, his tenure there, 82nd in the, in the FBS in his first year as the offense coordinator, 88th um, in scoring. Now that I didn't look up the red zone numbers, which I probably should have done, but um, the offense did improve his first year as the offensive coordinator. Um, the rushing offense wasn't good. They were really bad in 2019 before he was hired. And we're talking 119th in the country in total offense, 128th in rushing, 116th in scoring. And then they weren't great in 2020, but they, they, were, they moved all the way up to 50th in total offense, which that's a jump of, what, 69 spots. Um, scoring, they were 82nd, so not great there. Rushing, they were still not great at 92nd, but the passing offense significantly improved. Um, so... I, I, the, the res, there's not enough of a resume to like say, okay, this is why or why not Jared Parker will be successful. I, I think it's, it's, I always think it's really hard to understand whether or not a coach is going to be good or not. I think, like you said, we can always find people that'll say good things about someone because they wouldn't have been hired if people weren't saying good things about them. Uh, but we, we have to sort of be around them and we haven't, I mean, because he was a tight ends coach, we weren't asking Jared Parker what his offensive philosophies were. Like that wasn't, that wasn't of interest to us last season. Um, so now we'll have many other, many more opportunities to, to drill down on that and we'll see what it, what it looks like. But what I, like what I said earlier, I think it'll, it'll align with what we've seen in recent years and, and what we would have seen if Andy Ludwood came to town. Uh, next one's from Michael Kelly at Michael Bunch of Numbers. When Urban Meyer was wide receivers coach in Notre Dame, he formulated his innovative offense that he used after he'd left. Does Jared Parker have an innovative offensive system? What is his philosophy? Well, again, we're we're going to find that out 
and I would not compare um uh, I would not compare Jared Parker to Urban Meyer. Um <laughs> let's probably him, safe. <laughs> yeah. Let's give him a little bit of a chance there. Uh I do think when Notre Dame or when I mean I remember when Urban was at um when Urban was at um Notre Dame early in his career, there was a sense that this guy was special, that he was going places. And I mean, he went right from being a position coach technically to being a head coach at Bowling Green and then to Utah and, and then to Florida and so forth. But um, so I think we just need to sit tight and hear what his ideas are. But we do know this. I mean, the reason he was included is there were a lot of people that were interested in this job. There were not a lot of schematic fits. We know that Colin Klein, I'm going to call him Calvin Klein at some point, but Colin (laughs) Klein, um, Andy Ludwig, and Jared Parker were schematic fits. So it's not going to be wildly different from what Tommy Reese concepts were. Uh, Otherwise, we would there would have been other outside candidates that also came in for interviews before they got to Parker. Yeah. I think uh, he's going to want to run the football and dominate the line of scrimmage, which that's Marcus Freeman has expressed is what he wants to do um, as a football team. Um, I, something that I appreciated with, with, with what Jared Parker did last year. Like, I think we've made jokes about, well, anyone can coach Michael Mayer. Like, that's pretty easy. Uh, but he managed to work with Reese to come up with game plans to get Michael Mayer the football, even when everyone knew it was coming. Um, and I think Michael Mayer was probably the best version of himself, which you don't necessarily always get. Like, he could have taken a step back, and he did not. And everyone knew he was getting the football, and Notre Dame found ways to get him the ball. He he obviously had to make a lot of plays. It wasn't like he was wide open all the time, but he was he was wide open sometimes. He's like, well, how does people let Michael Mayer get wide open? Uh, and uh, so there was clearly some good coaching and game planning going into allowing that to happen. Now, obviously, Michael Mayer's talent had a lot to do with that too, but I do think that's something that intrigues me. So, um, but like like we've like I've been saying, I feel like I've <laughs> given a similar answer to the last few questions. I do think it'll be aligned with what we've seen and not a big departure from what we've seen, which may be part of the reason people might be upset about it because I think people want. Notre Dame's offense to take, which I think Notre Dame's offense can take more steps with a similar type of offense. You just got to execute it better. Um, I think there are things that Tommy Reese <laughs> wanted to do that they weren't, they just weren't good at. And so they just sort of went away from the offense and maybe Notre Dame will be able to do that better with what it has on the field uh, in 2023. All right. And to that end at SJB 75 on the inside lounge asked team health, notwithstanding, I believe the new hires at offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, a robust overall offensive depth chart and a season starting veteran quarterback with Tyler Buckner as a backup combined possess a real realistic chance for the offense to do well next season. Do you agree? Uh, I would agree. I, 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 I do think the offense is going to be good. Right. Uh, even with Jared Parker and Gino Gadouli, um running things, I, I think the offense would be good. I think Tyler and I could be the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and it'd be at least respectable. I think that much of Sam Hartman. I got dibs on quarterbacks coach. Huh? I got dibs on quarterbacks coach. You could take care of the rest. (laughs) I'll I'll call the plays. (laughs) 
I'll have, <laughs> I'll have Brian Kelly in one ear telling me what to do. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I, I think this was going to be a good offense no matter who. It's just, I think when you're looking at an Andy Ludwig, you're looking at the USC, the Clemson, and the Ohio State games. Um, right. And, and that level of coordinator making a difference, and that's really where it's going to be a test for Jared. Yeah, I mean, that, that's part of what this what made this job so attractive and why we thought that Notre Dame could sort of get someone that would be more impressive resume-wise than Jared Parker um, because of the tools that this person will be given in terms of just the players in the field in 2023. I think the per, that should allow for that person to have success. Um, so I still think that will be the case. I mean, to what extent is what we'll have to reserve judgment on. Um, but when you have Sam Hartman, you have two extremely talented tackles, you have running backs that have proven themselves. Um, I think the floor is pretty high um, and we'll see how high the ceiling is. All right. Next question is at Irish sports fan on the inside lounge. And this is a bit of a long one here. So give me a moment. Have you heard any rumblings and can you speak to them about Reese feeling resentment because he didn't get the head coaching job and he stand here. He stands sharing that opinion along with Freeman feeling a certain amount of resentment towards Reese for being forced to keep him as offensive coordinator. Also heard that after the Stanford loss that Marcus Freeman told Tommy Reese and Harry, he that that kind of offensive showing is unacceptable. And that further split the divide between those three coaches. And that's when Parker had a little more input question mark rumors are rumors, but this all kind of makes sense. Oh God, I'm glad it does to you. <laughs> um, uh, I would say I've heard some of those rumors and I've even, and I've, I've asked people questions about the ones that I think are reasonable. So let me start with the first about Reese uh, possibly feeling resentment because he didn't get the head coaching job and he stands sharing that opinion. Okay. The he stand part of that is BS because he stand wasn't even in the picture until Tommy didn't have the job and talked to he stand about coming to be the uh, um, offensive line coach. So that, had, that was already done. Um, and I don't think resentment is the correct word that I would use about Reese and the head coaching job. I think Tommy hoped that he would get stronger consideration for it. But if he truly resented it, he would have gone with Brian Kelly to LSU. He had other options. Right. Yeah. He didn't he have to stay to, here. Yeah. Right. He could have gone to Miami and been with um, the guy at Miami whose name is Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal. So eh, on that one, uh, let's see. Freeman feeling a certain amount of resentment. I, I'd also hit the buzzer on that one as no for being forced to keep I think Freeman was kind of happy that there was somebody that that knew the lay of the land and that was on the other side of the ball uh but I think you know I think he also welcomed this opportunity to um hire somebody of his choice but I don't think he resented Tommy at all and I think he would have liked to keep Tommy a little bit longer also heard after the Stanford loss I mean if he did tell Tommy Reese and Harry Heastan, uh, that was unacceptable. I have a hard time seeing him saying that to Harry, but if he just, 
you know, I, I would, I certainly wrote that. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's the one that I, I can see, like, I don't know what was said or how it was said or who it was necessarily directed at. I imagine it was directed as the collective, like, Hey, that's not good enough on offense. Like, and who, like, why wouldn't Marcus like, yes, of course it's not. I think Tommy Reese would say that, like, we need to score more points like that. I don't think they felt like that was an acceptable performance either. Like no, no one that practices wearing the offensive jerseys or coaches those players felt like that was an acceptable performance. So I, I, I would imagine that was expressed in some way. I don't know what was said or how it was said and what sort of feelings came of that. But if, if you're in a job and you get rep, you get like, Hey, that doesn't cut it. And you don't already think that yourself. Like that's, that's not a Marcus Freeman problem. I don't, and I don't know what that, that would, that would, that would reflect very poorly in my opinion on Tommy Reese and Harry Easton if they felt some type of way, because they were told that, Hey, your offense needs to score more points than what would they score 14 against Stanford? Um, yeah, so, I think it was 16, 14. So yeah, I mean, that's just not enough against a bad defense. Right. Um, all right. Next question is from another one from John Dillon at Dills one twenty seven. What about Andy heck as an offensive line coach? Will he have interest in leaving the chiefs to come coach at his alma mater? Well, Andy heck is a beast. Um, he's 56. He's only coached in college as a grad assistant at the very beginning of his career. He's been in the pro since I think he's been with Kansas city about 10 years. He's outstanding. He has a great job. Why would he leave that? Um, <laughs> for an O-line especially... job, too. Like, he already is an O-line coach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he was going to be maybe a college offensive coordinator, if that's what he wanted to be. But, I mean, great name to pull out. I mean, that that's the kind of coach you'd want. I just don't think it's realistic that he'd say, you know what? I'm making too much money, and I'm too happy when we're he's too, Super Bowls, let me too go good. to yeah. name and yeah, yeah. try Let's to take... follow Harry Heastand. <laughs> it's too easy over here. <laughs> uh, let me challenge myself a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Andy Heck personally, so I can't speak like with authority about his view on this, but the common perception uh, across football now is you don't leave the NFL for the same job title in college football with the current climate of college football and how demanding it is, the recruiting, right. the transfer portal – NIL it's just not, and we John Bryce was on our podcast uh somewhat recently I don't even remember now and he sort of was our last that, guest was our last guest so yeah so that was our last podcast that's well so much has happened since then I can't even remember um and he sort of spoke to that and he has plenty of coaching contacts across the country and at various levels it's just like listen it, NFL coaches are not attracted to to college football right now there's too much other stuff you have to deal with at the college level that you don't have to deal with at the NFL level. And when you're having success at the NFL level, why would you, why would you leave that? Now, someone may say, well, what about Dylan McCullough? He, he was coaching for the chiefs and had success with the chiefs and he left for a college football job, but he is trying to become more than a running backs coach. And that's his attempt to do that. Now, if Andy heck, I don't know if what his, what his career aspirations are, but um, I think he's in a pretty good spot right now. So, he would be. He would have to have some serious kind of love for Notre Dame to leave the Chiefs to become Notre Dame's offensive line coach. But if he was, hey, that'd be awesome, right? Right. Uh, next question is from Doc at Do Carroll. Will Notre Dame look outside for an O line coach or promote Chris Watt? I would think Marcus Freeman might want a more veteran voice on the offensive staff. I asked somebody who I really value their opinion 
and who's an offensive line connoisseur. And from the standpoint of culture and techniques and so forth, it's an easy, it's an easy um, transition to Chris Watt. From an experience standpoint, I think you're shortchanging the team. So that the best case scenario, I think, is Chris Watt staying on with the new offensive line coach. Right. And then you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's my my stance, and I, I feel like I've said this elsewhere, like the Notre Dame offensive line job, it should be like one of the best jobs in college football. Like that should be an, an attractive job. So you shouldn't, on rare occasions, should you be promoting a graduate assistant into that role? Um, so I think you have to at least start by looking outside, seeing who's out there, seeing who fits with Jared Parker. And if you can't find, like if there's really good coaches out there that don't fit with Jared Parker, it's like, well, is that a Jared Parker problem or is that the offensive line coach problem? So I, I think Notre Dame needs to explore its options outside. I think it will. I it, it shouldn't be in a hurry to just go ahead and promote Chris Watt. I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. Now, if it feels like that, if Marcus Freeman feels after going through this process, like, hey, this is the best decision for us, then may that be it. And we'll see how that works out. But I think that it feels like too much, big of a risk with the combination of an inexperienced play caller and Jared Parker. Um, and too big of a, like an opportunity to bring in someone that should have some serious bona fides to take over the Notre Dame offensive line job. All right. Our pal Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie asks, can you give a list of possible candidates for offensive line coach? Please each give your top choice and why. I haven't given it a lot of thought beyond Jim Harding, who would have been part of the package deal coming from Utah with Andy Ludwig. Off the top of my head, and I haven't researched a lot, I like Coach Callahan at Minnesota. I think he's a really up-and-comer and, -comer and uh, really starting to um, shine up at Minnesota. And then um, Joe Rudolph, who's at Virginia Tech. I don't, again, I haven't looked into the realistic availability of those guys but I mean, Rudolph was a guy I know Aaron Taylor liked a lot when he was at Wisconsin and he's at Virginia Tech now. I don't know what it would take to shake him loose, but he's only been at Virginia Tech for a year. Um, so those would be the two. But I plan on um, if there's no crises, crises <laughs> on Friday, that's and my priority list to do is put together a realistic and uh, good list of candidates and vet them a little bit in terms of, um, you know, who would be a great fit. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a list of guys. There are a number of different coaches that I think are good offensive line coach, but I haven't spent a ton of time figuring out, okay, who, who does Notre Dame like, who would make a lot of sense. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for a pass on this and <laughs> get a couple more days to think about it. Uh, Marie probably has a list. I should consult. <laughs> yeah, her. yeah. We should ask Marie for her list. Uh, I, I just we've just been so wrapped up in all the other stuff that um, I, I haven't gotten there. Um, and I mean, just yes, just yesterday, Wednesday is when we learned for sure that the offensive or who the offensive coordinator would be and who the quarterbacks coach would be. So we're still wading through that um, and what what makes sense there. Because I, 
I mean, speaking for myself, the Harry Heastan thing came completely out of nowhere. I did not see that coming. Um, it's very strange to be announced right before the Super Bowl. Um, I think, in my opinion, without having inside information, it lends credence to the idea that they were sort of clearing the runway for the Ludwig-Harding combination. Um, because otherwise, like, why would you, like, why wouldn't you celebrate Harry Heastan in a better way than announcing it right before the Super Bowl? Like, to me, like Harry Heastan deserves better than that. Now he could care less. Yeah, he, <laughs> so he's not he doesn't care. That. But I think from a program, you should do more to like celebrate Harry Heastan than announce it right before the Super Bowl um, that he was retiring. That was it, that was very odd uh, to me. It, feel, it felt buried. Which I mean, what's 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 bigger than a Friday at five o'clock news dump. It's uh, 10 minutes before the Super Bowl news dump. Like in, in, in the football world, you can't get more of a, of an odd timing for an announcement than that. All right. Next question is from Alan Sturgill. Any news on ND agreeing to a new media rights deal? Well, I'll tell you if they had agreed that would be front and center news, but I know what you're saying is there, are we getting closer? Is there progress with that? This is an issue that's moving back to the front burner um, right. and getting a lot of attention and it should because it really has <laughs> it really has the potential to impact Notre Dame for years and years and years because there's an opening here for Notre Dame to join the Big Ten or the SEC and and again there was a lot of scuttlebutt about that when USC and UCLA were going to or announce that they were joining the Big Ten. There was thought that Notre Dame would be forced to kind of do this. Well, if they can't get the right kind of media rights deal um, and, and people are kind of convinced that they're at least going to be in the ballpark, but if that's not reality, they're going to have to take a really hard look at that conference membership in one of those two conferences. Those are the conferences Right. that are going to have the money because if you don't have those kind of resources, you are going to be outbid for assistant coaches that then buyouts will be uh, an issue. And, and, and uh, you know, keeping up in the facilities arms race will become an issue. So great question, Alan. It's just, it's not there yet, but I think as we get into the summertime, this is going to be some, some things that we're going to be do, doing reporting on. Yeah, this this um, I, this was something that I, I know we were interested in knowing where it's at. I haven't done a lot of inquiring about it. Um, I did, out of curiosity, sort of look back at the last time the NBC deal was extended, um, and that was April of 2013, and that was announced – um, a 10-year extension on a deal that was set to expire at the end of the 2015 season, which puts us on track to like maybe getting to a point soon where they could reach a deal because this current deal, I believe, ends at through it runs through the 2025 season. So if we think that well, maybe by April 2023, we'll have an answer. I don't know if that they're that close um to getting that done. Um, but I think we're in the window now. I do know that there's resources being put into that, those discussions. Right. So I think I think we're sort of in the window of time where we can expect potential news, but we don't have news to share at this point. All right, last question is from Mr. Joe Seiler, one that is completely void of all the other things we've talked about today. If you had to guess, who is re receiving kickoffs and or punts in Ireland? You know, when I 
um, looked at that question and there is so much going on today. <laughs> I went with some long shots. So for punt returns, I put Lorenzo Styles down. And for kickoff returns, Micah Bell, the freshman defensive back. Okay. Who has elite track speed. Um, I went chalk with kickoffs with Chris Tyree. And then I also went with Lorenzo Styles for my punt returner. So that's just like what I'd like to see at this point. We'll, we'll see what uh, I think the punt return competition is interesting. I want to see what they do there. Um, I, I think I can probably speak for the fan base that they don't want it to be Matt Salerno. <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly he is an option. Um, but I think they have a number of skill guys that they can throw back there to give a chance to um, and see if they can create opportunity. And, and what, what we know of Brian Mason, like he's going to look for any way to sort of take advantage of getting yards and punt returns. And he, and he was not pleased with the kickoff return performance from this past season. So I expect that to be a, um, a big priority this offseason and trying to get that fixed and figuring out what Notre Dame needs to do better. And I, and I don't think it was all necessarily on Chris Tyree either. I think it was a, a unit issue that prevented Notre Dame from doing better on kickoff returns. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with your favorite Notre Dame booster. We want to get to 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts in 2023, and we're up to 88 now, so we're getting closer. Um, so please keep uh, uh, telling all your closest friends that uh, they need to subscribe, they need to review, and give us some five stars. Um, even if you have to steal their phone, just say, hey, Tyler Tyler told me to do this. Um, it's allowed. Um, and we'll, we promise we'll buy out your contract. <laughs> well, Eric, for the record, Eric said that. I did not say that. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Inside Indy Sports podcast. Uh, hopefully we know who Notre Dame's offensive line coach will be at that point. Uh, our Football Never Sleeps live show continues weekly over on our Inside Indy Sports YouTube channel, so make sure you check us out over there as well. Until you hear our voices again, stick with InsideIndySports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.